So tell us about your relationship with, with autism, Carolyn, and why you care about it. So my relationship with autism started um, with my son, Max. So I'm a mum of twin boys that are currently uh, in year eight at secondary school. So they are uh, 13, going on 14, going on um, grumpy teenager. Um, and uh, my one of my sons was diagnosed with autism when he was very young. It was highlighted when he was probably about 18 months old, but he got his proper diagnosis just before he started school when he was about four, four and a half. And it's been, you know, for the last 13 years, it's been it's been a part of my day to day, everyday life. How did you how did you first suspect that, that your son, Max, was a little bit um, different from some other kids? Well, do you know, the irony of it is that I didn't because uh, they were my first children. I had no idea. But, you know, I was really one of the things that surprised me, actually, when you look back on the journey is that I didn't really know what autism was particularly. I'd heard of it, but I think until you experience it, you don't really understand it in any level of detail. But because my twins were premature, we had a community nurse that used to come and see us at home. And I stayed in touch with her. And it was um, her that kind of sat me down one day and said, you know, I'm going to say something that I can't take back. But I think Max might have autism, might be autistic. And this is why. And you might want to go and check it out. So I did, you know, and you you Google like you do and you think, no, that's not my Max. No, that's not. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. And eventually, obviously, we went to sort of community pediatrics. And what was really interesting was that they said, don't worry about the diagnosis. What you need to do is treat the issues that you have. So if you have an issue that he's not speaking, get speech and language therapy. If you have an issue that he can't um, kick a ball, go and get occupational therapy. And so we essentially put Max into lots of therapy when he was very young, but we didn't actually get the formal diagnosis until, as I say, before he went to school, because the trigger of obviously at school was he was going to need extra support. And so that diagnosis is critical in getting what was a statement then and what is now an EHCP plan to get him extra support when he's in the school environment. So the word support is obviously was crucial for you from before your son was even two years old. You've been getting support and that's that's been a vital plank of you functioning as a family. Yeah. And, and you need that, you know, there was tremendous sort of, you know, seeing all of the therapists and being able to talk to them and say what you were worried about and to express your concerns was really, you know, they were all lovely. We worked with so many different people, but they were all just lovely in helping us on our journey. Um, and I'm a, I'm a great believer in that I think Max is the child that he is today because of that early intervention that he had. And And I think it's really sad when you see children that get diagnosis much later in life, because I think, you know, that their brains are much more adaptable when they're younger. So you can do so much more in terms of them managing their, you know, their behavior um, when they're younger. So I think we, I, I felt really lucky that, you know, in reflection that we had that diagnosis at such a young age. It was a bit of luck, wasn't it? Because you said it wasn't you because you didn't, you hadn't had any prior experience. No idea. No, I just thought, you know, on, on the one hand, he was a very quiet, easy baby. And then on the other hand, he was a complete nightmare. And I just, you know, I at that point, you don't really, because you're not an expert, you just don't piece it together. And because you're not familiar with it, you don't piece it together. What were the signs in retrospect, Carolyn? What, 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 what were the initial behaviours that led the, the nurse to perhaps think there was something? Yeah. 
so he he would um so we you know you'd have other children around other toddlers and he'd be completely disinterested in them and he'd be you know, he he would do the classic of turning cars over and sit and spinning the wheels of the cars repetitively, you know, or he'd, you know, these sort of windmills you can get in the garden, the windy things, he'd sit and spin that in the garden, you know, and stare at things intently, but be completely disinterested in people. If you called his name, he wouldn't look at you. You know, you could call his name 10 times over and he wouldn't look at you. You had to physically go and touch him to get him to look at you. And he wasn't, when he first started speaking, his first words were ball and two, uh, not mummy and daddy. <laughs> so that didn't come for ages. And um, and then his language was, instead of him formulating his own small sentences, he would do things like grabbing my hand and he'd say to me, where are we going? Because I would that's what I would say to him when he grabbed my hand. I'd say, where are we going? So as he has he associated that statement with grabbing my hand, when he grabbed my hand, he'd say, where are we going? Instead of, I want you to come with me. So it was just these very peculiar behaviours that, that, as I say, because we were seeing experts, they pieced it all together quite quickly. But, you know, I wouldn't have put it put it together, I think, for a long time. So your advice to a first-time parent like yourself who didn't think of it, what would, and perhaps that, uh, that, that parent you're giving an advice to isn't lucky in having a really good district nurse or someone like that. Yeah. What's the advice you'd give them? I think if you think there's something different about your child, go and get it checked out and, and be persistent with it. Don't be sort of pushed away because I think that's, you know, so often... I think the system is so overloaded and so busy that they tend to just push you away and say, you know, are they reaching all development milestones? You know, off you go, you know, nothing to worry about. But if they're not reaching milestones, there's usually a reason why. And I would say to parents, push for it. And the earlier that you push for it, I think the easier it is to get support further down the line. And it might be that they're different to other children. And that's fine to recognise. Yeah. you know, and. There's no doubt that Max was, as a young child, was very, very different, Um, you know, had trouble um, being with other children, trouble sharing, trouble doing all sorts, you know, just getting into buildings or into shops. It it was just really, really difficult. So, yeah, I think the earlier you get the support and the earlier you push for the support, I, I think the better the outcomes are. Having said that, every child with autism is completely different and I can only base my experience of it on our particular variety of autism that we have at home. So talk us through the journey that, that Max went on and, and, and the things that he learned, because uh, what you're not trying to do is you're not trying to make him the same as other kids. You're not trying to turn him into someone he isn't. But what you're talking about is you're talking about giving him sort of mechanisms to cope with everyday life and to express who he is. Yeah. My big goal is that I need to prepare Max to live in the adult world. And so that above everything, above academic and above, you know, all of those things is just he needs to be able to function in the real world. So rather than put Max in a special school, and he was probably borderline to go into a special school for children with autism, I pushed to keep him in mainstream education because I felt he will need to cope in the real world. And so getting him into mainstream, I think, was a really important goal for me and getting him into the right school that supports him. And we, so we ended up, we got kicked out of one school. So we started off at a very nice private school and they said, oh, there's no room for you here. And, and we got basically 
ejected. So we ended up in a very lovely little village school that only had, it was a junior school that only had three classes. And actually the school almost adapted around Max. They put so many interventions in that the other kids helped with as well, which was just amazing. So he did that. And then he, you know, now at the point we are now, he's in a mainstream secondary school. He has support, but he has much, much less support than he used to have. He's entitled to a sort of teaching assistant, but he doesn't actually really need that. His challenges at the moment are really more on the social side. He has trouble writing and recording his work, but he functions. He's a very delightful young man. Um, He functions, you know, he's very bright. He passed his 11 plus, but didn't want to go to the grammar school. So he's in the local school around the corner um, with all his friends. And and he's he's functioning much like uh, you know a, a neurotypical child, you know. So so it's been it has been you know a really interesting and challenging journey at times. But on the whole, we've had very positive outcomes at the end of it, you know. And he's had a twin to yes, to sort of support him, and that's really interesting. <laughs> a twin who's not neurodiverse, I, I gather. So, so how, how does that dynamic work? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. And I do say that um, Edward, his twin, was almost like 24-7, seven days a week therapy because he wouldn't leave him alone. And I think the tendency with ch- some children with autism is to shrink into their own world, not communicate, you know, become very quiet and very insular. And I think having Edward, who is completely the opposite, who is Mr. Flamboyant and very chatty and, you know, in your face all the time, I think that was almost like Max never got five minutes off because Edward was always there trying to push him to play with him and communicate with him and be part of his life as well. And so, you know, to this day, they have a really interesting relationship like all siblings do but they have a lot of very shared hobbies that that are things that really keep them together like they're both really into minecraft and the mcc championships and and, and, you know there are things that they really come together on so yeah i I think that we were also lucky in the fact that max wasn't an only child and that he was a twin and so he had this constant people at him to communicate all the time so one thing you might say for, 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 say, a parent of an only child is, is don't be afraid of seeking company and, and actually getting, getting that socialising. The very first thing that when he was di- when he, before he was even diagnosed was everyone said, get him into preschool as quick as you can. So he needs to be with other people. So I think if you've got an only child, you know, doing as many play dates as you can, getting them into clubs, you know, whether it's tumble tots or, you know, musical groups or whatever it is, it's hard because your child is different and you do go through a period where, You do feel like everyone's staring at you because your child is different, but persevere with it because the benefit for the child is so hugely important that, that you you know, as I say, I think where we are at this age, Max is gone from being what everyone was describing as having very complex needs to being a child that, you know, functions quite typically, if you like. He still has lots of challenges, but quite typically in the school environment and at home. So now you're a happy family and looking forward to the future. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, do you know, it's funny. You think, would I change him? And, and you know, some, you know, of course, some days you think, I wish he didn't have this condition. But other times, I mean, he's a diamond, you know, he's just, he's funny. He is chatty. 
you know, but but I, I in many ways I wouldn't change him because I think he he brings such unique sort of perspectives and, and he has just has a different view of the world. And I think that and I think we all need a bit of that every now and again, don't we? That's all for today. If you like the podcast, please subscribe in your podcast app. And if you have time, give us a review. If you have a suggestion or question, get in touch on Twitter at TalkTalkGroup. You can follow us there or also on LinkedIn. Thanks a lot for listening.